This is Women Authors of Achievement Podcast, episode 63, with guest Alexandra Bondi de Antoni. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daria Svorova, and welcome to today's episode. Alexandra Bondi de Antoni is a writer, director, and occasional photographer born in Vienna and based in Berlin. She's a former editor of ID Germany and former executive editor at Vogue Germany, where she was in charge of everything digital. Today, she gets to explore the intersection between social political issues, pop culture, and fashion in her freelance work life. In this episode, we speak about her late grandmother, Gerti, and how her sense for fashion made an influence on Alex's decision to explore her career in the fashion industry. We also get to speak about Alex's personal burnout story, a very challenging period in her life where she gets to reflect on that time period during today's conversation. We wrap up this interview with an outlook into the future and what the future has in store for Alexa. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate it on Spotify, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or simply share it with a friend. Enjoy! Alexa, it's the first time we actually meet in person after being in contact for some time. And I was just reflecting, it was almost or exactly two years ago that we were writing and and it is also when the podcasts were launched. And since then, we've been, so to speak, like pen pals in a way and writing emails back and uh -huh. forward. And now today, here we are in the studio recording the episode. So... I'm very excited. It's been a long, long way coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, better later than never. And I think it's also the very interesting time to have this conversation with you because the last years have been very, I would say, particular in your life. And there's a lot of things that happen. So I think it's perfect to reflect on those things and you can share your thoughts and learnings. So I'm, I'm thrilled. I would love to just you know, time travel a little bit and go back to your time in Vienna because you are originally from Vienna, uh, one of my favorite cities. And uh, you grew up there. And as you even described yourself, it's a city of cheek elderly women and great melancholie. Um, <laughs> so tell me, I think it was one of your essays actually on Vogue. And yes. so tell me about that time growing up in Vienna and that life there. Yeah. Yeah, I grew up in Vienna, on the borders, actually, so not like in the city center. And I grew up there with my sister and my parents. And I would say it was a really like middle class life. So my dad was not coming from like a rich background, but he kind of made his career while I was younger. For me, I think from the beginning, I mean, you mentioned before that Vienna is such a beautiful place. It's beautiful and it's, but it's also very small when you grow up. And for me, I always remember that I knew that there's another life out there. You know, it, it sounds maybe a little bit melodramatic, but I, I was like in this middle class life and I was so bored and an outsider. I was like not, not the happy kid. Mm -hmm. I was not like the, the one in school that had like a lot of friends, you know, I was like, at like these phases where I was an emo. Do you remember emos? Yes. <laughs> For a long time. But I always knew that there is something out there. And so obviously this time in Vienna, like growing up there shaped me, but I would yeah. say that what really gave me the kick to start my life was the ability to move away when I was 18. So like as soon as I finished school, I left and now I love coming back and I love my friends there and I love seeing my family and I love being there and walking around. And Vienna has such a great 
music, art scene, like not just like all the old stuff, but also like the young people doing things or like medium young people, but also the young people, like the art universities, the fashion. It's so fun to be there, but also I can't be there longer than like two or three weeks. Then I have to leave again. It's, I don't know why, but maybe it's the city you grew up with in, or maybe there's a lot of baggage there, a lot of stories. So for me, it's always a place that I love to go to, but then I also love to leave and I love to, to have like also this memory or idea of Vienna in my head and then you want um, to keep it you want to secure it yeah I don't know if it's about securing because it obviously always changes when I'm right. there but it's also I don't know it's just coming back where you grew up and if you don't I don't I didn't have a bad childhood not at all mm -hmm. or like teenagehood but I just wasn't happy like I think a lot of teenagers are yeah. And then when I moved away, I feel my, my life started in a way, you know? I, I feel you, I feel you. I, I think that was also the case for me. I've lived in a couple of different places and I always had this, I wanted to push myself out there. I wanted mm -hmm. to meet other people. And I've always had this feeling that there's some, even at university, I always felt like there is this adulthood and you get to work and meet people from different backgrounds and not be in this bubble like I never liked being in just one bubble I really mm -hmm. wanted to mingle and also yeah. meet people of different ages and, and kind of integrate and yeah. explore things on my own and not to be bound to the school or university yeah. so I totally understand you and also Vienna is actually as I said like I lived there half a year I have such a romantic uh, feeling <laughs> about it It's and a romantic city. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's you're right, because every time I come back, I always feel like I don't want to stay there too long mm -hmm. because it, it does feel very like you kind of get consumed. You know, you just sit in one of those lovely coffee places. And I, now I don't remember a couple of them. But if I see them, I'm like, yeah, that's the authentic one. Yeah. And you can just like sit there for four or five hours. Yeah. Right. And that's like part of the culture. And sometimes for me, it's like almost a bit scary, like, oh, you can really, you know, forget how the time passes. Yeah. But tell me, I know that you also had a very special connection with your late grandmother, Gerti, mm -hmm. uh, right? Gerti, it is. <laughs> and she passed away not long ago. And I saw some of the pictures you've been sharing. I also saw that the project that you dedicated to her when you were taking photos of her over um, 10 years or yeah nine nine, nine years nine around years, yeah. and I think like her sense of style and also just when I was looking at those pictures and that interview her passing almost feels like a passing of a decade that is mm. long ago you know this is the the people that represented like this different decade different times there's something so unique about it but tell me her story and mm. your connection to her Yeah, so my grandma, it's my mom's grandma, so on my mom's side. So when I was younger, my, my, or well, my first memories of my grandma are of her taking care of my granddad because he was injured in the Second World War. So, um, she was really busy when, when I was young because she didn't want him to be in like a, a home. So mm. she took care of him at home. So she wasn't really that much involved in like my other grandparents. They were super involved in my and my sister's upbringing and she wasn't, but I remember how magical she always looked. You know, she's like this, she was this really tall, woman in those like amazing dresses not like particularly always super fancy also sometimes fancy but just like the the colors and the textures and like the cuts and always the way that she had her hair done and her face she never wore a lot of makeup but it was like such a like her wrinkles already back then were quite heavy like you saw that she lived that was like one of the 
reasons I think I got interested in fashion or I didn't really know back then what fashion was obviously and that what what it what it means to be in fashion mm -hmm. or do fashion or whatever but I, I always admired her style her grandesse in a way you know without even having that many conversations with her because I would always just see her at um, family gatherings and or really quickly like at Christmas or whatnot so um I don't know how it started, to be honest, but when I was 19, I did um, kind of a postgrad course in photography and it, it all started with a random image I took of her and it was just like a snapshot and I got the film back and I saw it and I was like, okay, there's something there that I truly connect with and there's something there that I like. And again, I was so young back then I didn't know what it was it was just like a feeling same when when we go one step back when I wanted to get out of Vienna you just said you wanted to mingle with other people I didn't even know that that's possible you know <laughs> I was more like I know that there is I was so secluded in a way I knew that there's something but I had no idea how to get there and I think also that's why I started looking at magazines you know, at different magazines, Vogue or whatever, to transport me there or to be there in a way. But then through my photography course, I started to take pictures of her more regularly. So we would meet up and that happened actually until shortly before her death last year. I would go to her flat and we would take pictures together. And um, it started really innocent in a way of me just like taking her like a snapshot and then we would develop into doing proper shootings where we would agree on the clothes and then we would discuss the poses and we would spend like a few hours together just taking pictures and then eating something she would always make at the beginning chicken very dry <laughs> very dry chicken with rice and then like a special cake and we would eat and have conversations and I think over the years at the beginning, again, I was really naive. I just started this project. I didn't have any yeah. idea in my head. I never thought it would go on like that. I never thought that we will be able to build a connection like that. I just mm -hmm. and enjoyed. Then it, and you, at the end, you built a kind of a ritual, right? Yeah, that was, she was looking forward to as well. It's, yeah. She felt that uh, she had something to say to contribute. I yeah. think it's amazing. Yeah, she really, like, I think sometimes even in the moving on a few years, she was sometimes even like sad if I hadn't had my camera with me, even though she would always like be really like coquette, like, mm -hmm. you know, she would like play and she would be like, oh, no, don't take my picture. Oh, take my picture, you know, <laughs> like be like, oh, taking pictures again. And I was like, yeah, grandma, but you love it. And then she would pose, you know, it would yeah. be like always this like dance in a way. And then through that, we also developed, I think, a level of conversation that I didn't have with her before. And we, she would share stuff that when I then afterwards maybe told my mom, not even my mom knew about. So yeah, and then we, we had a conversation about everything, um, which was really nice. And she shared like memories. And now that she passed, I don't know, I, it was kind of nice the last few months to just look through that archive and listen to the conversations. Because at one point, I also started to record our conversations, mm -hmm. because I I really wanted to have that, I don't know, not for again, not a particular outcome, yeah. just for me and memories and for my mom and just to, or my sister even, to have that knowledge from our family, which would otherwise be forgotten. And it's interesting that you acted on it because I speak to so many people and they say like, wow, I really wish I did an interview with one of my grandparents because 
they bring the stories, the family stories, which are, uh, there are no uh, proof of it, maybe like there's no photos, there's no documentation. So there's a bit of a knowledge about that family tree, but also some very unique stories of experiences that almost feel impossible, it's hard to imagine, but something that they have so close to their heart. And sometimes we hear it, we remember a couple of them, but again, they they get forgotten mm-hmm. over time. So many people I speak to and also with uh, with my also story, like, I wish I did that. And mm-hmm. uh, or someone else said, I thought I should. Then people postpone. Yeah. And then we don't have that chance. So it's beautiful that you dedicated the time and also uh, found the time and interest to create that memory that will be passed on yeah. to generations. And I think this is, this is beautiful. I was very close with my grandpa and he passed in 2017. And from one day to the other, he wasn't sick or anything. He just had a heart attack. And I mean, he was also old already, but again, it was quite mm-hmm. traumatic. And I think that kind of made me then start to record the conversations. Mm-hmm. I also reco- record the conversations with my other grandma who's still around because it's just... There's so many things that I would have wanted to ask or I probably maybe ask one day and forgot. So with my grandma now, especially with Gerti, I have like those hours of conversation. And obviously sometimes those stories are repetitive, but it's still also I quite enjoy it when the story is told in that way at one point and then a little bit different in another way because also this is how memories work you know like how how you remember stuff and how different things change in your the way that you recall different situations Mm. so um yeah but tell me also about your i think fascination with older people in general again i was reading one of your essays and you were saying that if you get to sit next to a table with older women or men, you instantly get distracted and you want to know what they talk about mm. and you have this curiosity. And another quote I have from you is that old bodies are beautiful bodies and old faces are beautiful faces. What is this fascination about? Mm. What drives you to maybe older generation? It's a good question. I, I, I just was always interested or like I was always fascinated by older people and the wisdom they have in a way or the style they have and the stories they can tell. I think like a lot, there's so much bullshit out there. And I feel like when you talk to older people that have more experience, there's something you can get out of it. You know, you can, you can tack on, you can, you don't have to believe them, you know, but you can just take what you need or what, what helps. And um, I just found I have um, quite a few older women in my friendship circle as well. And every time I have conversations with them, I go out or like I leave the conversation. I'm like, oh, yeah, true. You know, I don't have to stress that much or it's it's all going somewhere. I don't have to like this constant fear of, I don't know, being in the moment and I don't know, something happens, whatever. And then you see people that are 10, 20 years older than you are. And they also made it through shit, you know, they also made it through different difficult uh, situations and they came out of it and they they can share that. And I think that's what always drove me. And also, apart from that, the style, what you mentioned before, like I think Vienna is the place where you have like all these old grand dames that, um, as you also mentioned, sit in cafes all days with their like coats and hats and whatever. And I think it's just really fascinating to see women, whatever age, having a style and having something unique about them. And I don't particularly talk about conventional beauty, not at all. Like I don't care if you have a 
conventional beautiful face or not like it's all about what do you bring you know what happens when you enter a room what happens when when you have a conversation how do you interact and I think that's what drives me towards people probably in general but with older <laughs> women even more and also and I was just thinking about that he had a like in my process of reflecting on my relationship with Gerti over the last months that because I was as a teenager or a kid I never had that many friends and I always feel like an outsider I was always connecting more with grown-ups in a way and not connecting obviously because you're a teenager but I never connected that much with the people in my yeah in my age group mm -hmm. and also when I then went into studying all of a sudden there were all these different age groups and it was I was always hanging out with older the older ones you know so it's I don't know. It's it's part of you to approach to ask those questions and to to break through talking to the older generations. Yeah, um, may maybe. Yeah, I find uh, there's a beauty in that, and I think it's always interesting to also see how the people in their later years how they find purpose, how do they mm -hmm. find motivation? Because sometimes when I speak to people older, they are like. And I say, hey, I'm so stressed. I'm overwhelmed. This is a lot. And they're like, this is so exciting. Mm -hmm. You have life. Like you are in momentum. You have so much. It's so amazing. We are, envy you. Mm -hmm. And when I hear that perspective, I think to myself, I should not pity myself. I should not tell myself that mm -hmm. I'm overwhelmed or it's too much. I should actually be grateful. Yeah. And that's what their perspective gives you. And they're like, look, we would give everything to time travel to your age and have it all happening. This is life. I love that optimism and that really positive t attitude to things that uh, usually older generations have and like they give you a little like kick on the butt mm. as soon as you start to pity yourself and you're like, hey, just smile and, and enjoy the process. It's great. And yeah. you're like, that's true. That's true. But this is what I mean. I think that it's like this idea of just being in the moment and taking it, you know, like just standing there and seeing everything that comes towards you as a wave. And sometimes they're bigger, sometimes they're smaller, sometimes they're really harsh. Sometimes it's like really soft, but just be there and be there fully in a way, you know, and that's something, yeah, that as you said, you can really learn from talking to older people, but then also have to internalize <laughs> and really live through the situation even especially when they're hard I mean it's easy for me it's easier to be in the moment when it's a good moment but it's really hard to stay in the moment when it's a bad moment and if something bad happens and if there's trauma or grief or whatever and then staying with it and letting it also rush through you it's the yeah that's it takes that takes time yes <laughs> Alexis, so you had the spark from your grandmother, Getty, um, just observing how she was in her sense of fashion. And how did you take life in your own hands? What did you decide to do? So mm -hmm. you said you turned 18 and you thought that it's time to <laughs> run away. Yes. So you have the spark, you have this interest, you have this possibility to go somewhere else. Where did you go? Yeah. So I, I went to London and I studied. And I had the opportunity to do that. And I had the support of my, my parents, even though I think at the beginning they didn't want me to, to study something with fashion. They were like, what the fuck? What's fashion? Like, what do you do with it? Um, but then I found a course that was called fashion business. So I studied kind of a mix between economics and the fashion in, in the fashion industry, um, but realized quite quickly that I'm not bad business person. I mean, I can do it, but it's not where my, my passion lies. 
So um, I tried to intern while I was in London and I got to intern at Days. And then I had like a really, I think, life-changing internship at a magazine called Indie Magazine. They're based between uh, now between Berlin and Vienna. And back then it was just Vienna. And uh, editor-in-chief and still editor-in-chief Kira Stachowicz, she kind of really took me under her wings. And she let me write. I, I never really wrote before. I wrote like a weird blog for Vienna Fashion Week that no one read, you know, like things like that, or like for myself. But I never really thought that I could do it because I'm also I'm dyslexic. So I never thought that I could really write professionally. But then she kind of encouraged me and she also encouraged me to take pictures because it was such a small team and then everyone had to do everything. And that, that really changed everything for me because she really nourished my curiosity and nourished my lust for everything. Again, I didn't know what the lust was for. It was just for something different than to what I kind of lived in when I grew up. So I think that was really a changing moment. And through that studies, I got to do my postgrad in this postgrad course in photography. And then I also got to move to Paris and live there for a year. So I really kind of took every opportunity that presented itself. And, and it looks like you were really trying different things because you were trying photography, video editing, writing. So you really were just like embracing the creativity yeah. in all possible formats. Yeah, video just came when I had my first job. So it was basically mm -hmm. most, it was only photography and writing, but I started to do shoot lookbooks for like young designers and I had got got to shoot like small editorials and I got my first images published at ID online like the ID website just launched back then and I got them um, I went backstage at Chagmue at his second show ever and they were published there and but just randomly because I I don't know I I just wrote people I literally I just emailed people and I was like hey I did this do you want it and 99 said no and then one said yes and then you know how it goes and it, I, I don't know I had such a drive back then and I was so mo motivated to just do <laughs> to just do stuff but tell me about ID because this was like your landmark role and you becoming kind of very much recognized in the scene especially in German being the editor there yeah maybe like just one one thing to add to mm -hmm. the thing before is that I was in all the time that I did that before I got to ID, I was also, because we were talking that we're going to talk about mental health, mm -hmm. um, I was a bulimic, you know, and I, I was really sick. I was throwing up a lot. I had like, I wasn't doing well. But then I kind of had a friend who helped me. And then I went into, I was in, in that time while doing it. And that's, again, Austria's healthcare system was able to provide me an inpatient therapy. And I went into that twice because the first time I got out and I kind of relapsed how you do when you, you have an addiction and bulimia is an addiction. It's an addiction to throw up. <laughs> so it was not all shiny and good and fun okay. and just like easy. You move to London, you do that. It was, it actually developed when I was a teenager and it got worse when I went to London. But I think I had like, I had this drive to still make it, you know, I had this like this ingrained from my dad as well, who's like, who made his career to just like, you go, you know, you just go over your boundaries and okay, you just but th but push, that's, push, yeah, push. Yeah, that sounds quite intense because at the same time, you know, the perspective I had was, you know, you had this opportunity, you took the risk, you went abroad, 
and it was it was challenging but then you had the support but having at the same time bulimia like this is this takes it to a completely different level yeah that was more yeah. like a was it a struggle for you then was it were you not then happy yeah no i, I, I it was a struggle obviously i mm. wasn't happy in on many levels and i think it was just like this transition from um as i said like it started when i was a teenager and i think it was a reaction of me being not happy as a teenager. Mm. And then I, I moved away and I thought, okay, um, this moving away will solve everything magically. It's like, this, this, but obviously it didn't. It made it worse because I was 18. I was alone in London. I didn't mm. know anyone. I, it was the first time living not at home, meeting new people, you know, being, making it, whatever being the first time introduced to this fashion scene where everything's from the outside, like glowy and glamorous and fun. And it is, it can be glowy and glamorous and fun, but it's not just always that. So I feel that, yeah, that moving away though was really important because I think if I would have stayed in Vienna, I would have never recognized that I have a problem. And um, because it got worse. When you were in Vienna as a teenager, were you hiding this also? Yeah, but I had like problems. So am I... My mom, I had phases where I was super, super skinny as well. Mm. And my mom, she kind of drove me from one psychiatrist to the other, but I just didn't, didn't realize that I had a problem. You know, okay. for me, it was normal. I was like, okay, my best friend did it. I did mm. it. Yeah. So it was not, you know, there was no real, I didn't have the space to reflect that it's actually quite sick because it, it's like this cliche thing. But like when I looked through the magazines, everyone was so skinny so why is it a problem that I want to be skinny you know right. but then literally when I was maybe was I eight 19 I, I had like this friend I found in uni and her cousin went into this like inpatient treatment that I then went to and she literally as like I mean she's responsible for me sitting here without having thrown up in 10 years or like 12 like when was it like 21 um 33 yeah 12 years right but that was also super hard i mean that's that was just really a crazy process to go through but it's very yeah. difficult and fast forward then to id this is when how old were you were you already then over that yeah i movie? was when i started at id i was 24 so that was already that was already solved, yeah I, okay. it was um afterwards so I, I saw that there was a German ID site online and I saw that there was nothing happening. There was just like one article uploaded every day. So I, email, I made a portfolio and I emailed the HR person who ignored me. And then I emailed the other contact I found on the website who was the salesperson. And he wrote back, I think in a day, and he was like, hey, do you want to come by and have a chat? So I flew to Berlin <laughs> And, um, had a chat with the, not with the, like with the salesperson as well, but also with the editor in chief of Vice back then. Mm -hmm. And when I went into the interview, actually, I thought, okay, it would be like an assistant position, you know, something small because I never worked in an editorial office. I mean, I had internships, but I never worked in a properly worked in an office before. And then in the meeting, they're like, oh yeah, can you see yourself running it? And my naive 24-year-old self was like, yes, sure. Let's do this. Let's do this. And then they offered me the job. So. But this is but this is incredible. I mean, you're so, you're so like, so like dumb. No, like I love it. Opportunistic. Like nothing was holding you back. Yeah. But how, how did you come across the German ID website? And why you picked that? Why were you like, hmm, 
Did you have any special like intention before you approached them, or it was just like a really coincidence? I mean, I was uh, so there. There was a before I I had a search a surgery, and I was like bed bound for like I think six weeks, and I had a lot of time. And in that time, it's like okay, I, I want to get a job now. You know, I want to get like a full time job now. I don't just want to like do different things and study and the 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 the. the. And then I applied for different things. I didn't just apply for ID, but I, I I don't know how I found the website. I just found it and I made this portfolio where I put like all my writing. And in the meantime, I also, um, a friend of mine and I, we we founded a little publishing house where we published scenes. We were called Kleine Schwester Verlag. Sorry, <laughs> when I, yeah, it's, it was oh, very innocent. And yeah, I don't know. I just found that website. I, I, I can't, yeah. But and I also. And you were like, I see a problem. I need to solve it. It's not like you saw it. Oh, this looks lame. Bye. Yeah. But you were like, wait, I actually have a suggestion. Yeah. Probably. I don't know if I thought that. It was just like, it's I, really cool. I mean, I, I, I really loved ID forever. You know, it was one of my. I applied for internships there when I was in London and they never accepted me. So it was also maybe something where I'm like, okay, maybe not let's there. try in the German, <laughs> let's, let's try the German, the German angle. And I was really overwhelmed that I got it. You know, it was so like everyone, like me, my friends, everyone was like, like how, what did they see or why did they hire me? But yeah, I just really, again, I, w I was in Vienna when back then again. And I just wanted to get out of Vienna. And then I I think I got the job end of November and I moved beginning of January. So how did you, yeah. how did this take <laughs> off with ID Germany? Like, were you overwhelmed or did you have... Of course. <laughs> <laughs> how, did you keep, how did you keep your continence and, um, <laughs> and stayed cool? <laughs> I think like what was really special back then, I mean, ID is part of Vice. So I was in the Vice office and at the beginning it was just a translator and me working for ID. So it was just a really small team, but Tiny. we were in this huge team back then we they had motherboard and noisy and thump and munchies like it had they were it was like the the glory times I f it feels of vice in germany and it was just so fun because there were it was a bunch of people that were all more or less my age like all mid-20s beginning of 30s and we were all really passionate about what we did be it tech be it music, be it with me, fashion and culture, pop culture in general, be it politics or whatever. And I think that it it was just so great. I mean, now looking back, it was super stressful. It was not like a healthy time, you know, it would be like working long, long days and then going out. I went out when I moved to Berlin, super cliche, almost every night, you know, it was just because I also didn't know anyone. I, I knew one friend of mine moved or like two friends They moved at the same time from Vienna. So we were a little crew, but I didn't know anyone else. And I just went out and met all the people that I'm still friends with now through partying or going to, I don't know, galleries or whatever you do. And I'm still very good friends with a lot of people from Vice back then because we we just had like, it, there was so much energy there mm -hmm. and there was so much happening and it was so much fun. And I learned so much. It was a time where... I went up to someone and asked them and they would explain for, because you mentioned video before it was, I never did video stuff before, but I found, okay, I'm really interested in it. I think it's so fascinating because it kind of combines words, text and photography, you know, images and it combines it to one. Mm. So at the beginning I would just like annoy the video team and go with them on, 
uh, to uh, shoot. And then I uh, developed some ideas and then I would do them with them. You know, it, it was just, and, really all, cool. and, and the, the other team that I had was the UK team. And I got, I was able to go to London and work with them for a week and, you know, be You're like, finally I'm in the office. I'm like, you see guys, you didn't take me for the internship yeah. <laughs> and now I'm here. <laughs> and it was just so fun because it was meeting all these people and doing all these things. It was a really great time. And then, yeah, it, it was it, it was really a transformative years in a way. That's really good to hear. And it's interesting how you were growing, exploring and, and staying very creative and just found your place. Like mm. you, you built your where you wanted to build. You built the life you wanted to have, finding those friends, being outside of Vienna. So you really took ownership of those steps in your life to create it, to yeah. not just take what life gives you, but say like, you know what? I do appreciate what life gives me, but let me just tweak a couple of things yeah. to make it my own. Yeah. There's a beauty in that. But I feel that's also because I was always, I always had like this special relationship with my head. You know, I always had like this relationship where I know my head can trick me. And I mean, as I said before, I was a bulimic, I was depressed. So when I was good, then I wanted to like, you know, take it all in and be it all and do it all. Right. And But it was so interesting because also, I got to then at ID work on branded stuff. In 2018, you moved to Condé Nast and as an executive editor at Vogue, that DE where you were in charge of everything digital related. So that's where your like learnings and you wearing many, many hats come into fruition. There was websites, social videos, podcasts even uh, you were doing. I saw that you did a couple of ones back in the days. And you were also building that connection between print and online uh, formats and just making it more like fluid. You, however, mentioned that it was challenging for you to join Vogue. And I was curious, why so? Why, why would it be challenging? <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, this is mm -hmm. it, you know? Yeah, but so after three years at ID, I thought that, my, that I wanted to do something else. And so I left and... So when I left ID, I left because I I did so much in those three and a bit years that I, I didn't really know what I'm really good at and what I just did because the job asked me to, you know, because there were so many different, I was like managing a few people, I was doing like branded stuff, writing, editing, video, photo, you know, I did so, as you said, so many things and I, I really wanted to take the time to recalibrate and be like okay but this is what I'm really good at and this is what I just do because I have to but then the whole Vogue thing started so this is what I meant with it was hard to take the job because I don't know something in me was like do I really want that do I fit in there I really if, I think it was the first time in my life that I really thought about does that work with me is me as who I am in that ecosystem that is very up close and very different. And it, it meant moving to Munich and, you know, being there and da, da, da. Is that really what I want? And then I said, yes, because it's Vogue. And I thought, okay, it's a crazy opportunity. And maybe I can do different things there. Yeah. You um, don't know if you don't try at the end of the day, yeah, true, right? True. So you don't know if it's for you, if it's not for you, if you just yeah. give it a try. But my, my feeling at the beginning was it's not for me, you know, and then I kind of convinced myself that it was. And I'm happy that I did it. I'm so happy that I 
did it and that the people I met and the project I was able to realize and the work I did and how much I was able to grow. But this is what I meant with it wasn't an easy decision to go. Right. It was not like with other, all the other stuff before, you know, it was like I just went for it. I was like, yeah, whatever. Maybe this because I was a bit older. I was 28, I think. So I was a bit older. So mm. maybe that made me reflect more of is that really my vibe? Yeah. The, the vice Alexa. Is this me or this is not me? <laughs> but talking about the impact, I mean, you were there for quite some time. When you reflect back, what really did you think, like, turn things around? What impact mm. did you build? Because you did also named as a digital leader Germany for your work there. So you, you have created the impact. So what was it? I mean, on the one hand, it was really just technical stuff of getting a website up in clicks. <laughs> I think that's something that... The basics, but basics the ba the are basics essentials. are very essential. Also something I I'm, I don't really enjoy, but if you run a website, that's you need to think about all of that, obviously. And I think what my team and I created is something that was quite relevant at that time you know i think we we turned the website from being mostly trends and celebrity news which if someone wants to do that fine i'm not judging but um into something that has different angles so we did obviously that and we did the ceo and we did all of the things you need to have and the trends. But for me, it was always Vogue was always something that is very cultural and very more than fashion or fashion in a cultural context. And I think my team and I managed to include that on the website. And that was a lot of work, but it was also a lot of fun. <laughs> and um, we also played around a lot. I mean, we played around a lot with the Instagram and With videos, we started to really produce videos that are more than just snackable stuff. That it's more also that we're more connected with the magazine. You mentioned the podcast. I did like a podcast for the 40th birthday of Vogue, where we did like, I think, seven episodes, which was super fun to just do a podcast because there wasn't really a, a fashion podcast in the German market out there. So it was a lot of opportunities. And obviously, when you work for something that has a name like Vogue attached, other doors open. You know, you can do things that I couldn't do before. Mm -hmm. But yeah, for instance, does that answer? answer yeah. the question I yes, don't know it it's hard it, it's, it it, it's it's I never really reflect like yeah but about for instance before. things uh, what were the doors open and what were the things you never were able to do before and now you were like mm. oh it's a huge playground that I can have mm. like there's no rules attached I mean there were a lot of rules attached <laughs> <laughs> it was a playground okay. playground with a lot of rules I mean, on the one hand, I think it was just really great to have a big team. I was managing at one point, I think. 12 people so that was just really fun to have like uh, women power we were only women so it was literally Ooh. women power of like doing stuff especially in an online editorial team because normally online editorial teams were way smaller and obviously the like really rudimental thing like budgets again very unsexy theme but budgets were bigger than everything I worked with before and um, opportunities to just go somewhere and do something. I never had that. It was always quite tight. And But I, I think during my time at Vogue, I didn't do a lot of creative work myself. I mean, I was 
doing strategy. I was doing people management and I was overseeing projects, you know, and I was overseeing videos, but I wasn't really, I was not that all. I mean, I was at shoots, but it was not like before at ID Mm. where we did everything kind of from scratch or like because the team was so small. So did you, did you feel like you missed that part? I missed it. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I missed it a lot. And I tried to make myself buckets, you know, like I went to, uh, to then do like take a video production for myself or I did like a, a few bigger projects where I really took the lead, but then also wasn't able to do all the details right. because I had so much on my plate that it wasn't possible to do everything what I wanted to do. But I had like a really great team that kind of took that on. So there was this moment, so you were wearing many hats, doing strategy, people management, a lot of things are happening, and then the burnout Mm. happened. And what was really happening at that time in your period that it led to the burnout? And Mm. also, how did you start realize what there were like small flags that were saying like, Mm. okay, something is off. I think my mind, my body wants to like shut down. Mm. So basically, when the pandemic started, the focus of in every publishing house was shifted to digital because there was no real place to buy magazines for some time. And that amplified the pressure and that amplified everything what might have been tricky before between people maybe, but also between in work relationships, but also in the way that I worked. And that amplified it to a point where I wasn't able to go on And I wasn't able to protect my team from everything that went on because it was such a crazy time. I mean, we all went through and it really kind of every day there was like a new drop, you know, like every it it kind of like it was really slow. It was not from one day to the other that I collapsed or something, but it started with having like a weird body shakes like after meetings or something that my body would just randomly shake and I was like that's weird (laughs) what's going on and then it developed into not being able to sleep properly for days and that all developed into having proper panic attacks after meetings mostly or randomly in the supermarket like not being able to function anymore and I always thought that that's just normal. It's so crazy. Like when I was in this, I was like, yeah, this is just, it's just a pandemic. You know, everyone's going through like shit and it's like really hard and whatever. I think like the changing point for me was when my now husband, one day, it was really early and I was already like up sitting in bed next to him doing emails or like having a call or whatever. And then I closed the computer and I started to cry. And then he just lost it. He was, I think it's the first time that we actually screamed at each other, like the first and only time. And he was like, you need to change something. It, mm. I cannot see you this way. You not well and you need to deal with that. And I think it, obviously it was, I mean, it was peak time pandemic. So we were together 24-7 all the time. So he really, he got a lot of, I mean, I was never I, I think, bitchy or mean to him or mm. something, but he was always next to me because there was no real way to go somewhere else. And that for the first time made me realize, okay, that's, I pushed it too far. That's yeah. so important to have that person, yeah. right? To flag this, if if you yeah. are unable to see it and if you feel too, you know, I had a guest uh, on the show, I think Noah von Bowen, and she was, a, um, I think, chief people officer at SoundCloud and 26. 
And she always said, like, there's a moment you notice a person, they just go down, like, down the rabbit hole, like, they start skipping meetings, they mm. start working on things, they get stressed out, and they get in a really, really detailed about things and really stressed out. And this is, like, a moment you need to just take that person mm. by their, like, a backpack or, like, a hoodie mm. and just, like, drag them out of there and say, like, stop it right there. Yeah. Like, get out of this where you're you're digging a hole for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so important that there's this person who is just, not just says, like, hey, you know, you maybe need to slow down, but maybe there was this emotional part yeah. that made you actually, you maybe had, like, this blurry view on reality, and you actually, like, why are you shouting? Oh, something is really off. Mm. Um, but when you tell me, as I said, I have I have goosebumps because it sounds like it was... Not a great, not a great period. Also, f very hard for you. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't fun. And I, as I said, like I, I didn't really get it because I was functioning. You know, I was like in my one hundred Zoom meetings a day. I was like editing stuff. I was trying to keep my team balanced. Next to pandemic, <laughs> normal pandemic stuff. Also, I had like one of my family members had quite a bad. He was in the hospital for quite some time. So it was there was a lot of things happening. And I, I just thought I went on. And I mean, now if I look at pictures of myself at the time, I'm like, who's that person? I was so skinny and so worn down. And my face was literally like, it was off. Oh <laughs> I, can't even, I can't even explain it. But you, you see how drained I am in those pictures. And mm. I'm like, this is, I never want to be back there. But also it took me, because from that moment of my boyfriend, yeah, now husband screaming at me to really leaving. I think it was again three months. You know, it was not like immediate that I changed something. It took me some time to realize. And then I took some sick leave and I thought, yeah, just four weeks and then I'm going to be back. No, I was on sick leave for like half a year. Yeah, I was just worn down. <laughs> but it's interesting because today... You're in a very different place. Yes. You, thank God. <laughs> you, thank you, God. It's like fast forward to today, and this is two years later, right? Two years, yeah. So Almost you, free. You know, it's, yeah. You know, time passes. And in the meantime, you've, you did a master's in London, so you went away. You are now freelance, so you do the work independently. You work for yourself. You're your own boss. Mm -hmm. You got married, uh, which is uh, which is also like uh, another milestone in life. And you're also pregnant. So it's a totally different person. And if you think you now and you then and just really over these years, like was it like a just a growth period of you changing your life, taking again ownership and making next steps? Or was it something where you said, no, this is probably not for me? Mm -hmm. Let me take a moment, think about it, and actually, I have I need to have a different life. Mm. What was those two paths? A complete mm. rejection of that life and doing something different, or it was a continuation. It's just your growth mm. in a way. I don't think that it's like you said that I'm a completely different person, but I feel that I'm just like a person that is three years older and has grown and went through all of that. What we talked about at the beginning, that you know, sitting with hard stuff and making changes to your life, leaving it just the way it always was. But I feel for when I was in the burnout and got help, different kinds of help, thank God, it was a hard process because it, it took me quite some time to let go, to let go of this idea of what I was and this idea of what my future 
is, you know, because when I was in this job, I thought, okay, I'm going to be at Conde Nast for more years and I have this career and then, da, 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 you know, I was like so quick and driven and so like doo, 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 always doing like 15 million things at the same time and being super social. And it was the first time in my life that I'm really reflected on that. Is that actually me? Is it is it me or is it just something that I kind of did because of the way life Yeah, it fits this picture and yeah, yeah. But, but, that but, you but, created. Yeah, but also in the way that just my life, just how I set up my life and I never questioned it, you know? So there was a lot of thinking. It was a loss. It was a loss of that life and it was a loss of not like the not like the Vogue job in particular, it was part of it, but more of like my my lifestyle and my coming to a realization. I have a friend who's going through a burnout right now and we have a lot of conversations about that because he's still very much in it. And he's like, it's so hard to just sit with it and then realize that you have to build a life that is different, that if you go back to that where you were, you most certainly will end up in it again, maybe in a different shade, you know, but you most certainly will have problems with this again. So it was for me that those two years were literally taking out every part of myself, looking at it really in the bright daylight and being like, does it still suit me? You know, and then if it didn't throw it away and that's hard, that's like not easy And if it still works, putting it in, but putting it in maybe at a different at a different place. And for me, studying helped a lot, you know, being in a context that is completely different, being in an academic context. I never I've never been in an academic context in the way that I've been in for the last year, meeting people that had nothing to do with our industries, you know, have nothing to do with creative or tech or whatever, sociologists, like people that study that are 21 and like so bright that you're like how can you be so smart with 21 <laughs> and I'm like sitting there being like I have no idea what this theory means so um <laughs> I loved it and I loved it you know being challenged in a yeah. different way and having and then at the same time being super cautious in building up my freelance life and not rushing into and I mean it's hard because I did it I Last summer, for example, I overbooked myself and I worked so much. <laughs> I was like, this is too much. But it's also like a, it's still, I'm a, my own boss now and I can pick and choose and I can say no to projects. And I did say no to quite a few projects already. And it feels good, you know, because I'm standing up for myself. But then it's also hard because it's just dealing with the way my brain works now or worked after the burnout was a lot of ups and downs and a lot of like being really angry at myself and being like but back in the day I used to do all of that and now I'm exhausted after two things you know mm. no, it, it's not that bad anymore but it was at one point I would do right. one thing a day and I would be exhausted and I wouldn't be able to do anything else and I think it's just getting you know meeting this new brain And then appreciating it and then working with it and also like seeing that it's actually that it makes it life different, but in no way less exciting. It's just maybe if I work the whole week full on, then I don't go out on the weekend because I'm already drenched from people, you know. So exactly. it's just something it's like a balance of of finding it. And I feel that 
the studies, I wanted to do that for like six years. It's not something that just came in my brain. It, it's that course that I wanted to do after ID and then kind of pushed away for Vogue. And I even looked at it while I was at ID because it was the, the course that I really, I craved to do for mm -hmm. such a long time. And it, it was the life, the life that I'm living now is kind of what I craved after ID. You know, it's kind of playing the long game in right. a way. So, and the, I mean, the, getting married and pregnancy just happened. That's like not, <laughs> that was a cherry on top. That, that wasn't planned or anything. That's just, that's just that's next the maybe, to it. That's maybe again the beauty of just letting go and following those things you always dreamt about because I was about to ask like, yeah. wow, you, you were on a sick leave that was after burnout and yet you've decided to do like a study. It's, first I thought like, so you still wanted to be occupied Mm. But yet now you explain that this is something you actually had in your mind. This was your dream to do this yeah. course. So it really puts it in a different perspective yeah. that you just wanted to do things that you had your, your heart felt for it for a while. And you were like, now oh. it's the time. Yeah. And then when you just start trusting the process and start doing the things you want to do, things into fall into place yeah. just perfectly. Yeah. And suddenly you have time to think about things yeah. before you were like, oh, this is not even a priority right now. Yeah. So you allow those happenings that are probably going to play even bigger role in your life yeah. than things in career, right? Yeah. It's it's more life-changing. Yeah. To be a mother is probably going to be yeah. a huger impact than, yeah. than working at Vogue. And it's interesting, right, yeah. that we allow those things to happen. But I, I also like, again, it was not that easy. It was not just I was in the burnout and then, oh, I want to study. N not at all. It was, there was a time where I was sitting at my, and I again been talking to this friend of mine for a long time. I was, I just didn't know what to do with my life. I was sitting and I was like, what is it? I fought, I didn't have any passion left. I was like, I'm not interested in this. I'm not interested mm -hmm. in this anymore. This was my life. Like, what am I going to do now? And it just really, it took time conversations, therapy <laughs> to figure that out again and make it, it all fall into place. And I think the one thing that I really learned is this, this idea of playing the long game that it's not because before my life was always like this and that and that, that, that. And now I'm like, yeah, maybe it takes five years and it's fine. It will be fine in a way. So, so yeah. So what is ahead for you? I mean, how do you feel today? you know, being your own boss, like handling all the things and also preparing for the big step of your life, becoming a mother. Like, how do you feel about this mm. balancing this career, this amazing life that you get to do, projects you love, you get to put your best self into things that you're really good at and support other mm. creatives and publishers and organizations with your knowledge and your expertise and just let the creator self be you know, pick up whatever you want or whatever project you want, but at the same time, welcoming a new human to this world and being with this human. Mm. I, I really enjoy my freelance life right now. It's really, it's been, um, I really liked working for bigger clients, but then having the time to write an essay, as you said, like to really balance that. But then also, if I don't feel good, like, being okay with not pushing through, you know, I think that's like my biggest lesson as well. Like if I'm not feeling well and then I can chill a day, you know, even if it's Tuesday and then I just work on Saturday, like those small little things make me really happy. <laughs> <laughs> I think that this is just the life that I hope to have one day in a, in a career or like a professional way. And with motherhood, I mean, of course I have a lot of 
thoughts and anxieties also about it because I mean I started freelancing what one and a half years ago I haven't been it hasn't been that long I'm obviously I think in the way that our society works as a mother you don't get appreciated that much on so many levels especially in the in the work front so I'm very curious and a bit afraid to see how it goes when I can start working again because obviously I want to see my kid grow up and I want to like be a good mom for them. I haven't really thought about it that much because I'm just trying to be in the moment and trying to be in this pregnancy. But I think it will all, yeah, come together, I hope. (laughs) That's probably not like the best answer I could give, but... This is uh, the best answer, you know, what what you've said also, being in the momentum. And right now the momentum is being in the studio. Then, you know, there's there's the weekend, there's the next things. And you will just follow your intuition and things yeah. will, will fall into place. This brings me, Alexa, to actually my last question. I had uh, more questions, but I also feel <laughs> I feel like we, we leave it to part two, maybe in another, <laughs> another two years. Another two years, <laughs> yeah. And the last question is something that I address to all of my guests. And uh, since the name of the podcast is Women Authors of Achievement, and uh, you are one of them. And uh, an achievement is always different for, for everyone. And uh, it's this, I see it as a reflection on life. I see it as a realization of your dreams and yourself. So it's not the success that we talk about and the only the highs, the ups uh, of one's uh, career, of one's life, but it's really shaping your unique path. I'm curious to know who do you define as your uh, woman, maybe role model and woman author of achievement? Mm-hmm. It's really hard for me to name one person because I feel that when we as women want to change something, we can only do it collectively. So um, I decided not to name one person, but I'm as much in awe with you to starting the podcast next to working full time as I am with a musician friend of mine who's a single mom raising her kid that I met this week, as I am with my Turkish friend who's re-traumatized with everything that's happening in Turkey and she's going through it and she's like living through it. So I'm not going to name one. I'm just going to be like women in general. That's a beautiful answer. (laughs) Cheers to that. (laughs) Yeah. Cheers to that. Alexa, thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing your story very authentically, very real story and very real you. I appreciate you coming here and being so open about things that maybe some people not comfortable talking about it. But I think for many, it will be very helpful to hear this and to hear and find cues and inspirations, but also little keys to like different life or different ideas or different things they can implement in one life to help to find this fulfillment and purpose. So thank you so much for sharing it today. Thank you. Two years later. <laughs> <laughs> let's see, let's see. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon.